Hello there and welcome to the Panoramica Show on Flirt FM and wherever you get your podcasts. Teacher and linguist Patrick Jasper is with me for today's show. Thanks for coming in, Patrick. You're welcome. Tom. You're from Happy. France, are you correct? Indeed. Yeah. Born in France, born and bred in France. Whereabouts? Uh, the north of France, just beside Belgium. Uh, the area is called the Flanders. Mm-hmm. So I'm from a small town uh, just close to Lille. Lille is a massive city in France. It's, a, it's probably the fourth biggest city after, of course, Paris, Marseille and Lyon. But um, no, I, I, I'm born in France, been raised in France as a child, then adopted by the Irish about 30 years ago now. 30 years ago, yeah. wow. And when you say Flanders, is that the, the, the famous Flanders fields from yes. World War I? Okay. All, well, yes, all the battles that it is, not only the First World War, Second World War, but before that, you know, we had um, for a long time up to 1600, the, the Flanders didn't belong really to France. So it's much later that we were kind of reattached to France or whatever. And did those battles, would you have noticed as a child, would those battles have hung over the, the city in any way? It's not as much as we feel that raises um, history behind, but it just uh, listening to my grandmother, she said, we have been invaded by everybody. <laughs> it means at some stage it was uh, Spain. Uh, we got invaded by England with all the war, 100 years war, whatever, uh, Germany. But also during the time of the strike, much later, we, we got a lot of people coming from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we had a big group of people coming from Italy, Poland, or whatever. So the north of France is very rich. When you look at its history, but also it's based into a melting pot of uh, culture and uh, a lot of different countries, different names. Mm. You know, so it's lovely. I shouldn't have really ad- started off by asking if you're from France because I'd say most <laughs> listeners can pick it up <laughs> from the accent. I know, I know, <laughs> I haven't lost it. And um, no, I, I I do teach French most of the time, so I keep mm. the accent. Um, working i would say and did you so you're a teacher yourself but did you enjoy school when you were going to school in france okay so when yeah i did enjoy school i was following um my brothers and sisters i was just um enjoying life more than school itself i would say i didn't <laughs> think at all i would become actually a teacher or a lecturer later on and uh, so I loved traveling and moving and doing lots of things and gave me a, a little perspective that when you travel, what you need the most is uh, languages. And it's much later in life, mostly when I arrived in Ireland, that I went back to university and went back after work anyway, uh, four nights a week studying in New City. And uh, I got my degree and I, I studied linguistics. I continued to uh, better at all the language I had um, because I had studied already German. Then I went for Italian just to, to, to open the horizon. Just for fun. So you speak German, Italian, French, English? Uh, English, yes. And then is there <laughs> another, so four yes, languages? I, um, I have a rhythm on the Creole because I live in Central America. Mm-hmm. And Creole, it's, it's pretty, uh, well, to me, it's a pretty interesting story because the Creole are language that people think will be a minor class of language. To me, it's more a story, uh, uh, a story which is a bit sad at the beginning because it's uh, related to colonialism and uh, slave trade and uh, the way people were forced to communicate with each other and create, therefore, pidgin and follow up that their children 
created a full language. And when I lived in Central America, which was Martinique, Guadeloupe, and also Guyana, um, the people over there spoke uh, Creole, which you can recognize a certain mix of language and dialects coming from, uh, of course, Africa and uh, a dominant language, which were at the time by the colonial French as a base. So you, spoke, you speak so many languages. Yeah. Um, what brought you to Ireland, of all places? You could have gone anywhere in the world. I know, I know. Um, well, the reason simple is my first name, Patrick. You know, like, uh, at least here, you know, when I arrived in Ireland, Patrick is very Irish, and I was always interested as a kid um, uh, to know a little bit more about Ireland. I didn't think I would stay that long. <coughs> uh, I arrived with the rough sack, and... Um, I'm from a family where all my brothers and sisters have double-barreled first names. I have Jean-Marc, Jean-Pierre, uh, Marie-Pierre and Marie-Claudine. And there in the mix, you have just Patrick, which <laughs> is not fully French, because we have Patrice also, which is for male in France. So I grew up thinking, oh, there is this country called Ireland, and they celebrate Patrick's Day. So I said, I'll have to have a look. Okay. And I came here and I stayed. And were you named after somebody in Ireland who knew your family, or was no, it just... Beca- no, just plain luck. Just plain luck. <laughs> and how did you become a teacher then in Ireland? I was offered to, uh, the opportunity first to take a group of students to help them with French, mm-hmm. and um, I really enjoyed that experience, discovered that um, um, I had the vocation to, to, to deal with young students and to give them the, the liking of language as much as I was at the stage of my life where I was discovering the love of language itself. So with the help of um, the study at in UCD and learning linguistics, I could mix the two and really develop program and develop um, class in order for the uh, for the students to get out of the, the tract way, which is the grammarian way. I mm. try to open the students ready to enjoy and to make them stronger by themselves, learning language, and to show them a different path, a different route. Mm. They're, they're pretty commonly used terms, but what is the distinction between grammarian way of t- teaching and linguistic way of teaching? Okay, the linguist, it's kind of... Um, and that's going to be very Irish. To me, it's linguists as storytellers. They are people which tell you where the language are coming from. They, they talk about how they were formed. And if you know the language is formed, therefore you go back to the roots and you can understand how will I learn that particular language. Well, okay, linguistics seems like the easiest way to go. Not the easiest way, but the best way a to go. Because you, a, a very different way. Different way. Um, why are teachers still teaching in a grammarian way then? Um, I think it's the way we teach teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the school we prepare teachers are following a pattern which has been there for years or whatever. Um, the linguists just have the different approach, you know? Rebels. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think... Um, I think it's more encouraging for the students when he's given the chance to discover by himself. That's what I did with a lot of languages, you know. I I was able to learn them. Like, for example, English. I didn't really learn English in school. I learned English by traveling, by meeting people and, and discovering at the same time that there is different English. If I go to England, it's different. I'm not going to say in England something is gas because <laughs> they'll call the gas company straight away, you know. 
But uh, so very different language, and you have to understand. And I explained that to the students. A, a language you don't only um, learn the words. You learn, of course, the pronunciation, but you learn the culture. You learn the the history behind. You understand where it's coming from, the subtlety. And nobody ever speak a language perfectly. None. It means everybody makes mistakes in whatever language they are speaking. So uh, as I say to the students, yes, I have access to many languages. I don't speak any of them correctly or perfectly. Um, I think uh, that that helps the students to, to lower the expectation to just say, oh, I have to be bilingual. So you have fun. That's very important, is to have fun. It's to repeat and and to, to practice, to enjoy making mistakes. Uh, it's a part, I, I made so many friends um, uh, saying the wrong thing in English, you know. Like what, what kind of things? Oh, um, <laughs> some, uh, lots of uh, anecdotes or whatever it means. I remember I had to go to a bookshop in town. I always forget the name. It's a big bookshop. I call it Hodges and Fudges, but it's not the real name. <laughs> and um, I went over there. I was looking for a book to write a paper on them the language acquisition or you use your brain or whatever and I was looking to the section on the wall and it, there was geography, history, maths, uh, language and I knew I was getting closer and suddenly I saw this sign on the wall and I went straight for it thinking that was the perfect section for me and then realized what it actually said was mind your head <laughs> and I took the word I took it so literally I, it, I really enjoy you know looking at all those uh, I'm I've said sometimes things, even my children, you know, uh, Joshua and Sally are born in Ireland, but with a French dad, they, they f- they're having a field day just underlining uh, when I make a mistake in English. As they ask me to repeat some words I can't say in English, they sound, which still um, are very French anyway, when, you know. Is that the kind? Of, is that what you mean by uh, having fun when learning a language? Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. It means if you get stressed, you go to a country, you say something, and if people spend their time correcting you, you you might become very sensitive. I don't. I was taking a taxi from uh, Dublin Airport to my house, and the guy said to me, and I, I, I it was, it, the guy said to me, "Oh, um, you're not, you're not Irish." I said, "No, I'm French or whatever." He said, uh, "Oh, have you been here long?" I said, "Thirty years." And okay. I said, you think after 30 years you will speak English properly? <laughs> and and I, I, inside, I just smiled. I just smiled because I thought, okay, the guy uh, was right. I don't speak probably English properly, but I do have access to so many languages. And as often, I also teach communication to um, international students and all the students in the class come from, well, I have nearly all the continents represented. And they all said to me, people criticize us when we speak in English because we have an accent or whatever. And I, I always tell them, tell them it's not because I, f- I speak with an accent that I think with an accent. There is nothing wrong there, you know? So people, as soon as they realize, like I have in my class people which have high-class engineer, had a... Uh, uh, a Russian man which was the head of a choreographer a, a choreography groups in Russia or whatever I have gifted people that when they come in Ireland because they have an accent because they have to go through all their uh, studying again 
they are put back at the bottom of the story. They have to start all over again at the age of 50, 60, and start a new life, a new career. And, and when they arrive in Ireland, their prospect for work will be uh, a challenge, you know? Mm. And I tell them, don't give up. You have a lot to offer. Uh, you have a lot to give to the Irish people. They'll be enjoying. Uh, you need to meet the right people, people which will embrace your culture, your language, your food even, you know, as long as when you come in Ireland, you enjoy the Irish culture or whatever. So mm. it tells them you need, it's an exchange, really. So that's what the word communication means. It's an exchange. If you ever do need to shut up a, a taxi driver in Ireland, I find that the best way somebody gave me this tip was to say that you're a revenue commissioner. <laughs> you they won't say a word for the rest of the journey. But and you, you you're one of those people who's very confident in yourself and yeah. who you are. Um, and would you would you say that other people, if they had been told that by the taxi driver, oh, you think after thirty years you'd speak better English? Well, would you say they get a bit down? It. Well, yeah. they get there is two reaction. Or you go down and you know it's like students coming to me trying to learn French or whatever. And they said, and I, I quote, I often have that answer. Patrick, I come to your class, I look at the way you do the linguistic way. And um, I'm so sorry to come to your class. My teachers before, they were so bad. You know, <laughs> I hear that quite a lot. I always smile and tell the students, I said, what a waste. It was wasting on such a gifted students like yourself. <laughs> and they realize what I'm slagging them, you know, like and say, okay, I need to be a part of it. It means at the end of the day, teachers and students are working together, you know. So in the school where I am in Ratmines, I'm in Ratmines College, I have students who come and they repeat the living cert. And I have nine months to give them another approach in order to look at the Living Cert French, for example. And we managed to get great results. You know, students are jumping grades from up one or two grades up. If they engage with the linguistic approach or whatever, it makes sometimes miracles. I had students coming to me and said, oh my God, that approach suits me. Uh, we have to remember there is more than one way to learn. I think it's Howard Garner wrote a beautiful work anyway on the eight form of intelligence there is not only one or two unfortunately the way we do things in Ireland and in education we focus on two out of the eight we forget sometimes that people learn a musical way or people need to interact a lot and talk a lot and we don't encourage people to do that you know or people will doodle uh, you know, so if we understand we are not talking to the same group of individual and take them one by one and look at kind of the a rainbow of students, we can actually say, is my course covering all this? Am I offering all the possibilities? So I tell the students at the beginning, this is everything I can offer you. You can use Spotify to listen to French music, go to RFI, listen to the French radio directly. You can look at even programs on TV or whatever in French. That's, if you like to do that, do it and learn at the same time. Then the class or whatever and try to write, write, write. Always write, make mistakes. And again, I break away from the grammarian way. I do not correct the work of my students. What? I don't mean I sounds don't do Sounds a bit lazy, job. yeah. Sounds a bit lazy. No, what I mean by that is I do not write what's wrong for them. It means if I have an essay, students, the word is wrong, I give them a kind of a, a, a table of uh, little signs I use for correcting. And, and the students have to correct himself. I have to find where was I wrong when I wrote that 
sentence or whatever. And if they engage in the next essay, they won't make the mistake again. Give them the power to correct their work. You know? and, and it's rare that that approach is taken. I haven't heard of many teachers doing that. Mm. Is it effective, do you do you find? I, I find it's like it gives me great results with the groups I work with. It means the students the students when they engage because it takes a bit of responsibility when they engage actually the results within two or three months you see a huge difference already and it's amazing because you would think that teachers would be delighted to take that approach because first of all it seems to help the students but also they don't have to be writing Mm. down the notes the whole time and do teachers know about that that way of teaching um Again, being being a linguist and w- using the linguistic way, um, I try I share everything I have with every teacher I meet. It means it's not a question of power thing, whatever, whatever notes, whatever techniques I use. Every time I've met teachers, I share everything I had, and and it is developing. More and more people look at it. Said that's interesting. Now you like it, you adopt it, and you use it with your students, and you can see the results. I often use some terminology in class and it's like if I was speaking uh, an alien language and at the beginning of the year I will say, what's a verb to you, you know? And uh, what's an adjective? What's an mm-hmm. adverb? And people make, oh my God, I don't know what you talk about, Patrick. I really have no idea. If I was dealing with a, a group of German students, they know the grammar from very early age and they will be able to tell you what's an accusative, nominative, dative. Their grammar is superb. It helps them to learn very, very fast, uh, much quicker, I will say, languages, because they've got the backbone to build up. What, yeah, what is a verb then? What, Alors, uh, a verb, uh, the way I said to the students is the verb, it's it's not an action word. Often people say, oh, it's an action word. They've learned that the grammarian way, it's mm-hmm. an action word. And I said, well, to sleep is a verb. And if, if you had known my dad, <laughs> dad would take <laughs> his glasses, lie down, he was in the same position in the morning. You know, there is not much action in sleeping as such. So I said, no, the verb is what put the sentence in action. This is the heart of a sentence. The, the art. If you make one mistake in your verb, your full sentence just collapse. When you learn English, like you learn Irish, I tried, I did a class of Irish for <laughs> a year anyway, and I remember I was learning this Irish sentence, but I was trying to define what was the subject, the verb, what word meant what, and the teacher, a uh, very nice teacher, used to say to me, no, no, we don't need to go that way. Just learn the sentence, you know the gist of what you are saying. You know, okay. um, so I I was baffled that we can learn things without really, to me, uh, being able to uh, dissect that sentence for me to do another sentence by myself. That's what I wanted to be able to do, and I can't do it in Irish. Not does that way. not complicate things then? If you're if you're obsessed with oh, what is a verb, da, 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 does it not complicate things then when you're making not the if next you sentence? have it from early age if if it has been given to you and explain it's like we gave you a manual of use of language um it it can complicate if you're learning much later but if you got it early it makes your life easier we told you these are the blocks of lego and you build it <laughs> yourself after so but um knowing that in the living cert there is always uh, in the living cert paper a question about terminology they will ask the students uh, uh find in the text uh, a pronoun relative or whatever and the student said that's my worst question and i said so 
why don't we do it? Why don't we give them the terms, let them use them? Because it, when I did, uh, again, linguistic in, in UCD, we came back towards that, that terminology and I was flying it. I was really enjoying it. Mm. Uh, that was my favorite part in the class. You but know? the thing is, I suppose, I, I, it's been a year or two since I've done the Leaving Cert, so I can't remember completely, but my abiding recollection is that those questions about grammar only make up a very small five number, marks. Five, five marks. marks yeah. So it's not worth putting well in the effort in a way. If if it's an effort, but the point mm. is because you have to study them in class, you have to study. Let's say you have to study uh, an adjective. You have to do it anyway in the part of your course because you're going to write an essay. You're going to make mistakes about it or whatever. So why not to explain at the beginning as an introduction for each point? What does the word mean? At the end, none of the words are difficult. For example, if you take the word adverb, an adverb is a word that add meaning to a verb. There is nothing complicated. <laughs> in, you know, like when you, you take an adjective possessive, you hear the word possessive, the idea of possession. So it's all the my, your, he is, all this. But I think, again, if you take the students on the journey and give them simplistic, easy, always explain things like someone is five. Don't complicate things. Just give the tools in a simple manner and let the students play with it. Build the sentence. As a beginner's Irish students, I wanted to be given the power to build my own sentence, which I couldn't really do. You know, like I had the sentence to say the things I was told to say, you know. But um, so uh, that's, I think, should be the fundamental of learning language. Where did the theory of linguist, how would you pronounce it, linguisticism, <laughs> linguistics, no, the linguistics the li <laughs> where did it come from? Okay. Uh, well, the linguist, um, there is huge current. Uh, it means I was, I uh, discovered linguistic in university. I picked it up the first year and then I stayed all through my degree. And the person in charge was a phenomenal, phenomenal teacher. She was, Vera Chekova was the head of linguistic at the time. And she, I think she spoke more than 10 languages. It means, uh, I, I'm not 100% wow. sure, but I think she had, a, she had access to probably up to maybe 19 languages. She came from the Czech Republic, so she had a lot of uh, Eastern European uh, languages. She had a, a lot of the language in Europe anyway, but she was incredible the way she, uh, she explained. Now, it's not something new. Linguistics has been existing for years, we always, uh, it, it can offer you um, possibility of a lot of different career paths after linguistic in university. You can uh, study linguistics and head for to become a speech therapist. You could uh, work with the law and, uh, you know, become a profiler, listening to people accent. You could be... Um, Working, of course, in all the domain of uh, interpretation of language, translator, etc., etc. There is huge possibility with linguistics, you know. Mm. And I suppose we, it might take for granted sometimes. It's only occurring to me there while we're talking uh, how special language is. It's it's very unique to humans it that is. we have so many languages, and they enable us to communicate in ways that, uh, to our knowledge, other organisms just can't really. Uh, we can talk about... Okay, um, so no, um, a language first, um, the, uh, the theory behind language, how many languages do we have in the world? What is a language? A language is a, a form of communication. Animals have a form 
uh, have a language as such, but it's different from us. It means they do not maybe have the notion of building sentence with a past or future or whatever, but they do communicate. Communication and language, don't forget, um, you don't have to talk to, to have a language. Um, mm. I did, I, I studied sign language, Irish sign language in Ireland, and I discovered it was another world. I thought it was just putting a language into sign. Not at all. Uh, in the class, there is a, a, a new syntax in sign language, very interesting, a sense of humor, you know. Um, uh, it, it, was, it was, I don't know, magic to me. So uh, a, a language, body language is a language, you know. Mm. Uh, a smell is a language, pheromones, that's the way the ants communicate, by exchanging pheromones. So a language first, as such, is a mode of communication. And within the word language, we have in French langage and langue. That already separate in two different words, the word language. Langue is it's, uh, it's something you use, you know, in a particular uh, area, let's say it's more geographical or historical or whatever. So you communicate with people, you use une langue, yeah? So you can speak that language or whatever, you can communicate with people, but the language in itself, it's, it's more what you're going to do with it, you know? Um, so sign language, body language, uh, all type of mode of communication. I know a, a friend of mine gave me the story. It was in Djibouti. And in Djibouti, he had noticed that even trees communicate to each other. Oh. Yes, it, it was strange. But that tree was being attacked by a group of goats. They were eating the tree. And the tree managed to send a signal uh, to the other tree, telling them to change the flavor. <laughs> That was disgusting to the goats, you know, in order not to be eaten. So there, there is so much we discover. Even we still try to understand how animal communicates, that it is by the song, by touching, by... It's, it's, it's incredible. We still have so much to study. That's what linguists want to understand. And even the history of our language, where do, do we come from? How did it start? Was there one language at the beginning? Which the answer yeah. is no. They all Did appeared at different uh, spots on the map at nearly the same time. Language is very effective, though. Y you can convey a lot of things. You can tell a story, as you're saying. Yeah. You can describe something you saw. You can um, relay your emotions. You can lie, too. You can lie, yes, too, yeah. Yes. But there are limitations. Um, yes. Oh, completely. I, I, I didn't bring it, but there was a great text saying, uh, I think it was from um, a French writer called Bernard Verber. I really put it in his book. Between what I say, what I mean, what I mean and what I wanted. Every time we say something, it's open to first, what did I mean? Did I say exactly? Was, was I able to express my idea? Then there is the person which has to decode. Did the person understand or did there was misunderstanding in a message. So there is so many filters, and communication is a challenge. And it depends what we use communication for. Is it to give? Is it to take? Is it a power? You know, uh, what are we doing with communication, the way we talk to each other, you know? Mm. Um, I often tell people, you, you just think what you are doing when you are talking, you know? Did you listen, you know? And it, it makes it. A challenge. It makes it interesting. It makes it fun to me. I think it's very, very interesting. I've become better, probably listener, uh, with the times than a talker. And what's the key to being a good listener? Because there can be times, and I, I catch myself out in it sometimes, where I'd be sitting there, and somebody might think I'm listening, 
but things are going in one year and out yeah. the other end. I might be doing the alphabet backwards in my head, and yes. I'm nodding along. Yes, oh, but we can't we can listen to uh, things all the time. Anyway, we need to we need to switch off. Anyway, um, I think you're going to be surprised, but sometimes you can be a good listener by talking. It means you could be talking to people and listen to their reaction. You know, that's that's a strange thing to do. But um, um, some people, as you say, are pretending to to listen, but you can see very quickly they're not connected anyway. Um, it's just practice to to just give yourself little task. Did I pick one thing? You know, um, the same. Some people I talk about it's, it's what they say. It's nothing. They just talk. You know, they they some people drown themselves. I would say in talking. Do you find that? Uh, the Irish would drown themselves generally drown themselves in talking more so than the French oh, or completely I, uh, that's one thing I like yeah. I, I just mentioned the, the key word early on storytellers to me Irish people have, it is great land of uh, storyteller Frank Delaney wrote a beautiful book called Ireland it's a story of travelling storytellers going from town to village and people getting ready and all the tradition uh, the old tradition of Ireland is fantastic all the stories and uh, in the teachers club in Parliament Square there was a meeting once a month of uh, traveling uh, storytellers. I've, I've been invited <coughs> once. I spent a lovely evening. It was fantastic. And I hope when I retire, I get more involved with meeting those guys anyway. But Ireland is, is uh, a country of poets, of storytellers. Even your language is full of expression to do with, you know, eyes all talk small talk it's all about talking you know and even when you listen uh, in the media about the politician the way they talk you know some of them are good at it it means some of them less probably <laughs> but it's all about the story it know? is all about the story and I've even found that I, I know somebody said this to me that uh, if you compare asking for directions in France to asking oh, directions sure, in yeah. Ireland yeah. it's completely different in France you'll ask how do I get to the train station and they'll say droite gauche yeah droite gauche to droite left right straight in Ireland oh you go up the road you pass uh, Johnny's house and that's where the the cow you know he's just done the silage you go around the corner and then you you find that rickety bridge where that poor woman was murdered it's the whole story the full story and uh, even once uh, someone gave me the direction in Ireland and I was bursting his laughing the guy for a few minutes explained to me if you go there and you turn right and you go for a few meters you are going the wrong way. <laughs> I thought that was that was very good. Another thing in Ireland, my mother-in-law, bless her soul, she was a fantastic lady, and she she, she was great at talking about the weather. I've Even she was French, was she? No, no, she was Irish. Oh, she my was Irish. Sorry, yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. My um, um, yeah, um, my wife's mother, oh, and um, when she was. Um, talking about the weather, you could have a full conversation. In France, you will just have one comment made in the last probably very short time or whatever. But in Ireland, the weather is a topic, uh, you know, a fascination. And uh, you can talk in the past, the present, the future. You can do a full thing on the weather, you know. So there is topics like this, which are great, you know. Um, is it because we're a nation of tea drinkers? Does tea sort of bring out... Yeah, tea, but also raise a, a certain shyness, I would say. When you don't know the person, you don't talk about mm. uh, too deep or too, too serious straight away. You don't know the person, so you talk about, you don't want to hurt anybody's, 
anybody's feelings. So you talk about gentle things and you go through uh, life and you always remind how life can be tough. So there is a bit of sad news somewhere around, you know. And it's lovely. It's very caring. It's, I, I don't know, it's, it's gentle. In France, you could have straightforward question straight in your face you didn't expect, you know, like people will get what you will say. So, uh, uh, you will say, that's very nosy. You know, mm. say, uh, are you in a relationship? Uh, are you planning to get married to have children straight away? You don't even know the person, or people could ask you how much you earn. <laughs> you know, like so. It's it's very. But the French have this attitude. You can ask the question because the person can answer. Mind your own onions, which means mind your own business. <laughs> you know, like uh, um, so. It's a, it's a, a different. As I said to you, when you learn a language, you have to understand how the people react, how they think. You know. Uh, we don't have the same approach from one country to another about life, about death, about everything. Our sense of humor have nothing in common, you know? I think if you learn a language and you can master a good joke in that language, it means you're good at it, you know? Like, uh, you, you. I still go to with my wife to listen to some Irish comedian and sometimes it just fly over. I don't have a clue. Everybody's laughing and I'm still trying to find I miss something there, you know. It is difficult, you know. So but it's again fun trying to understand how we react or we do things from one to another and we're a neighbor's country and we can be so different, you know, at some mm. time. And language, uh, going back to that point a few minutes ago about mm. how languages do have their limitations, uh, it was Ludwig Wittgenstein, I think, who said that um, you can't define some things. Let's say my perception of love, of mm. happiness, yeah. would be completely different to yours. Mm. Is there a way that we can develop language to um, describe those things, or is it best that we leave them undescribed? I think they don't want to be unwrapped. I think there is things that need to be left to the unsaid, you know, to, to the untold or unsaid. Um, we still need to be able to have those silent moments where we can, can keep the things bottled in and, and try to make sense of it. That's what we did when we were babies, before we started to talk. The first things a baby uh, growing up is doing is trying to make sense of the world. Then he's going to... Uh, the first language you want to teach your baby anyway, sign language, in order to help him to grow up very quickly, linguistically. So you do maybe 10, then 15, then 20 gesture. You do a gesture for milk, biscuits, or whatever. And the kid will be delighted to communicate with you. You understand each other. And he knows he doesn't have the word yet. But the, the baby looks at you and... Ah, we can get milk. Yeah, can get I can milk. get milk. It's fantastic. So there is first some language to bring. But also the fact that we have to... Uh, uh, we don't get it. We don't get so many things. We need to have things that belongs to us, emotions that help us to grow and understand and just make sense of the world. And and that's where it's going to transpire into art, art form, because art is, is a form, it's a communication. So then also th emotions, the things we kept, as you said, in silence, will come up under one form or another. So you cook a dish with great gusto. You, um, you, you, you paint, you write, you sing, you play music. All this are mode of communication and in certain way are languages. You read a painting, 
You can see certain things yourself. You see things. Or someone explain to you what it meant. But again, it's a language, you know? Mm. Playing music. Music, it's, it's a art. It's, it's a practice of some form, you know? It doesn't aim to beauty. It aims to communicate something, you know? Mm. That's, uh, that's And it's thing. one of those few universal uh, communication methods. I remember I was in a favela in Sao Paulo and there, were the, there was this group of kids. And they did a dance routine with music. And it's one of the few ways that you can communicate with anybody. The room could have been full, could have been full with people from every single different country in the world, none of them speaking the mm. same language, yeah. but you can communicate through music. Exactly. And exactly. it's a very special thing. Uh, what other forms of communication, communication beside music are very accessible? Well, uh, beside music, um, For everybody, yeah. uh, well, various contacts, various mm. contacts or whatever. I, I know that teacher here in Ireland, she phenomenal work. She was doing teaching arts to uh, young adults which were born uh, blind and deaf. So you need to communicate through the hand. So you take the hand of the person and you communicate with them through it. And you, 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 you pass the wall of silence, you know, and, and you get in touch with the soul of the person. It's superb. Superb. The, the, the results also, to just even to understand that a blind person will use color, you know, if you think of it, it's, it's magic, you know. I think it's, it makes it very interesting. It's all about what, what we perceive and what if there is so many sense we don't use, like understanding texture, um, you know, all this. You know, um, so there is other forms of communication. We all have different ways to communicate with each other. We communicate even all the time at home with the partner, with the children. Even the dog communicates to us. Okay, I have Charlie at home, and Charlie, we know exactly what he means. <laughs> you know, when he wants something. So no, um, um, as you said, not everything has has to be put into words. Not everything. It's better left to the uh, image. It's better left to the sound of it. Um, sometimes you lis listen to that magic piece of music and, wow, the music did it all, you know. Okay, someone put some words on it, but it's actually the music that did the job, you know, that it moved something into you, you know. But then there's also that interpretation aspect. What, how you interpret the music might be different how I interpret it. Which maybe, is maybe, yeah, probably, I would say probably. So again, it's individual. It's very subjective, but uh, there is also the effect that music has as a whole. They, they run some experiment on the um, influence of music on plants, you know, to see uh, <laughs> that was that was interesting. I don't know if it's accurate or whatever, but they say a plant will grow better in the, under a certain type of music or whatever. Listening to David Bowie. I don't Listening know. to David yes, Bowie maybe. in the morning at Elton John in the evening. Get the leaves flying. Yes, that would be cool. <laughs> Um, no, but um, we we know that um, there is more that what meet the eyes, you know, and and uh, um, I, I think that's that's great to look around us, to be influenced by everything that can, you know, smell, uh, touch, um, etc., etc. The list is long, and all of them are in certain way probably a language. I know that. Um, there was they discovered that even smell uh, has huge influence between people. Um, they have noticed that when you have a, a group, for example, of ladies put together, 
They love uh, Links Ax- yeah, Africa. They yeah, love if you have yeah, links yeah. on. <laughs> no, no, but they will. S- uh, all the cycle will actually get together at the same kind of period time. You know, like mm. they will have the same um, uh, run of of uh, cycle time together after a while. You know, which is amazing, and that's because of pheromones, the way we communicate with what we don't see. You know, it's phenomenal. Mm. Well, depart from language for uh, for a few minutes yeah. and, and go back to. Education. You yep. said earlier that there are sort of eight four. Who was who said that there were eight Howard forms? Garner. Yeah, and yeah. Th- what are the two that we generally use then? Uh, the maths and the uh, main language. So it means we will give uh, importance to maths in the living certs and the English subjects will be the first two. You know, uh, that's what we whatever subjects you do after that, we're gonna check that the students can write proper English when he gives his answer or whatever. You know, so that's the first two. That's the very important two which are reflecting in the exam. Now we start to understand very small. For example, we bring now sports into the picture of the living cert in some school and start to realize physical education, okay, is as important. Um, then you have the musical part, which has been there in the living cert all the time anyway, because we are the music. But the musical part will play not only in music subject, but in languages. So everything. I, I often tell people, if you want to study, you need to understand what kind of subjects they are and what do they do. So I do an easy, little, quick um, way to describe them. You have the brain subjects, the book subjects, and the language subjects. Book language, and, yeah. And I said, first, you never study two brain together, two books together, whatever. So, for example, a book subject is easy to understand what it is. It means you have a, a manual, you learn certain facts, and you need to be able to put them together and give them back as set of data. Like so history. Like history, for example. But history is a book and a brain. Because history, you need to be able to reflect on what you mm-hmm. read you need to put the things together too. So uh, uh, that will be a book first and a brain. Maths is a brain. It means you are learning um, to solve problems and you need to be able to bring a different part of your brain in in putting the data together and and get results out of it. Then you have languages, Irish, English. English is a book, if you study Shakespeare, and it is a language. If you have to write an essay and try to think how many words do I have in English to write? To have 40,000 words, to have 80,000 words, <laughs> how, how strong will be my language or whatever. So it's it makes them different, but it doesn't really in the system. At the moment, we give kind of an order what is important, but not the student. The student doesn't see that order. The student is following what he likes. You know, so uh, students could be very much uh, very strong in book subjects or very strong in brain subject, you know, but all the students we have in front of us, each of them are so different and approach things differently. So I said to them, when you study at home, really what you want to do is use the four senses. You don't, you, you, you try to learn as much as you can. Yeah, by first reading with your eye, which means you read your book in front of you, if, if it's a book subject, you read with your mouth. So whatever you're reading with your eyes, you're going to read it loud. And you make sure you're in the room, which has no detraction. There is no Spotify music blaring in the <laughs> background. Then you read with your ear. 
which means you were reading with your eyes, speaking, and you make sure you focus on listening. Yes, mm -hmm. listening to what you are saying. You listen to your own voice or whatever, or the voice of someone else if it's a recording. Then you read with your hand. So you write keywords of what you just learned there. Then you go to the exam and you remember yourself seeing it, saying it, hearing it, or writing it. You multiply by four the power of retention. So, therefore, some students are only using one. They don't give a chance to the mm -hmm. other, you know? So, that's another kind of little theory about how to maximize your learning. Maximize the learning. When it comes to learning, though, in, in Ireland, it's kind of a unique system insofar as students are, well, advised, really, to take six subjects at least yeah. because, because of the way the, the points work. Is it important that students do subjects that they don't necessarily like? You know, the, the, the for the, the points. Well, not for the points, but th there'll be students who just want to do music. Yes, they, they, and they're destined yes to dance exactly. or to play music, but they're forced still to learn maths, English, Irish. Is it important that they learn those still? Well, at the moment, the system here doesn't give much more alternatives. I think anyway, the the system. Or it it might not be the system. It's also could become an issue from parenting. Uh, parents wanted their kids to do the best for them. They mean well, but uh, in meaning well, it means how well for the kids. Uh, the kids might react or just push it away or whatever. I say no, I don't want to do that. It's a difficult one. There's, there's a great, you'll probably know him because he's one of the most successful tech talks um, of all time, Sir Ken Robinson, mm. a great educationalist. And he says that um, we discourage, we stigmatize mistakes so much. Mm. And we, while we shouldn't encourage them, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Mm. How do we make sure that people are okay with making mistakes? I think in the next 10 years, a lot of things are going to change. We are learning so fast. Uh, when you looked at, to another country, uh, Finland, that used to be in the grades uh, in Europe, the bad students, years ago, and suddenly they decided we need to change something. And they changed everything, nearly, in the way they approach education. Their results today is really baffling. This is incredible. They have decided to change things that we never really considered in France or in Ireland. Uh, do the students need so much homework when they go after school? You know, and they said no. <laughs> you know, so all this. The, the, I think we need to start to sit down and think what works and what is not working. At the moment, the students are in a system. But if we give the word to the students, you will be surprised of what they want to change. The students are doing the race, but they see it as a race. It's a point race. Yeah, It's the system the way it is, and you comply with it, you do it, and uh, you run it very well, you know, or not. But if you don't, well, at the moment there is alternative, it's not the, the end of the world, but it is a race. The, the question is, do we want to keep it this way? Is it, is it what the students want? So I think it should be a dialogue there that they try to establish. And um, I think within the next 10 years, we're going to see some change because people are listening, you know? Well, something has to change because it's just... It has it's to not, change, it, yeah. Because it's not life yeah. to store loads of information in your head, yeah. throw it out yeah. on a few sheets of paper and then yeah. forget it the second after. Um, and it's a system that was developed... I know. In the, during the industrial uh, decades and decades and decades ago, generations ago, 
and um, so it's not really practical for twenty first for twenty the twenty first century world. Exactly. Anyway, Patrick Jesper, thank you very much for coming in to talk no to me. Problem. It's been it a fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, you're listening to the Panoramica Show. <laughs>